Hi, and welcome back to the Voice First Roundtable. This is season two, episode nine. We're almost through the season uh, of 10 episodes, talking to interesting people doing interesting things across this vast landscape of voice technology and AI. Um, my name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called uh, Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. Very pleased to be joined by Ricardo Garcia Amaya, CEO of BOIQ. Ricardo, say hello. Thank you for inviting me, Bradley. Ricardo, thank you for giving us some of your time. You are a very interesting person, not that we don't have those on this show, but you <laughs> you have taken an interesting path to an interesting place. So start just by telling us who you are and what BOIQ does. For sure. I'll take you a little bit back. So I was born in New York, but raised in the uh, outskirts of Bogota, Colombia, the capital of Colombia. Have you been to Colombia? No, I have not. All right. You got to write it down. <laughs> That's what I tell people about Nashville. Yeah, I should go there. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so I was raised in a farm in the outskirts of Bogota with my two younger brothers, my parents, obviously. And uh, um, until the age of 15 or so. And we, my dad's appointment, he was ambassador to the United Nations that took us to New York. And in New York, uh, the brothers stayed in New York while my, my, my mom and my dad kept going to different embassies, uh, London, Madrid, and finally Thailand as a diplomat. Um, we were, I guess we were not the typical um, uh, diplomat kids. I was going to say spoiled diplomat kids, which usually seems to go along with it. Uh, but we, we, we didn't get to, you know, go and, and be brought up in, in, in 100 uh, countries, which could be great and also could be a little bit disruptive. So we stayed in the U.S. and uh, finished, uh, I finished high school, then uh, NYU um, for undergrad. Right out of my dorm room, I started a uh, technology consulting firm working with organizations like the New York Public Library, which is one of the biggest library systems in the world. Uh, Best Buy, which is one of obviously the biggest uh, electronic retailers in the country. And beyond that, I decided to get my MBA at NYU again. And after that, I worked at the mayor's office uh, during the third term of Michael Bloomberg. Uh, it was an incredible, exciting opportunity to see how this huge uh, organization, a 300,000 employee organization operates. And I was working on developing the technology roadmap for the city, which was super exciting. And after that, I decided to help a friend run for mayor of Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, we won and he became the first Latino mayor of Providence, Rhode Island, Angel Taveras. And uh, I was in charge of uh, a lot of the tech in the campaign, but, but my main focus was getting people out to vote and some aspect of fundraising through creating virtual call centers. And I remember building these call centers and remembering that in the previous 10 years, the technology had not improved whatsoever. It basically was the same piece of software. So I decided to build the OIQ, moved to Silicon Valley with my wife, who now actually works in the same space in voice, but for Google uh, on the global product partnership team, uh, specifically on the recipes and also finance, working with banks. And, you know, when you ask how to cook lasagna to your Google assistant, that's, that's one of the areas that she's in charge of. So we moved mm -hmm. to Silicon Valley after living uh, me in New York City for 20 years and um, go through Y Combinator, uh, which was awesome as a tech startup. We got funded by tech, Y Combinator. Um, my immediate mentors, Michael Siebel, who's the CEO, who sold this company for a billion dollars to 
Amazon. Uh, Kassar, who sold two of his companies to Google, now he's working on his third one. And Gary, who sold this company to Twitter, um, and now he has a $500 million fund along with Alexis Hanahan, the founder of Reddit. Uh, so incredible mentorship immediately paid off moving from New York City to Silicon Valley and raised $5 million and off to the races uh, with VOIQ. I have my two younger brothers actually are also uh, tech founders and venture-backed uh, founders in different, different companies. So we all have uh, our own tech startups. <laughs> Yeah, I'm tired just even hearing you listen to hear, <laughs> listen to all that. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty incredible journey. So, um, and you 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 really answered one of my questions, which is how you know somebody comes out of politics uh, and, and political involvement of different types um, and ends up you know, starting a, a technology, you know, tech oriented company. And you, you answered that, uh, just something, uh, filling a need that you had seen, um, in that time, you know, working with politics. Um, and it also has to do with scalability. Um, so initially it was in politics and then you said, you know what, we can definitely address an issue here in politics. And then you said, well, if we're going to be working in this space, why, what other area could be even bigger and more impact? And so you start making your way way out and eventually you end up where we are which is you know how to empower businesses to leverage uh voice bots a sound human to have conversations with their customers other prospects on the phone uh and that's as big and as scalable as our imagination could take us which is the way i guess in many ways the silicon valley ethos right um and and that, that that's where we landed but we definitely had to go through different stages of how big, how, how bigger can we go in terms of scalability? And this is where we ended up. So with VOIQ, um, one of the, I would call it a defining characteristic of voice so far, um, just the, the landscape, uh, certainly post Alexa, that companies getting into this space and doing whatever it is that they do, in your case, uh, you know, along the, the, the chatbots and voice bot realm, at first they start off as generalists. And then what happens inevitably is that either that first big client comes along and there's learning specifically related to a, a certain vertical or some attribute of the technology product itself lends itself more toward one vertical or another one way or the other people end up gravitating so we've seen so far to one particular vertical over another where has most of your business with voiq so far been and do you feel that happening for you yeah, no, that's a that's a great point, Bradley. So uh, the easiest way to think about the point where we are in voice, because you said basically, in many ways, you're describing how voice is such an early technology uh, and the way that is uh, being applied now, specifically to businesses, right? In the consumer, you already get to see how Google, Amazon, all the big players are, are leveraging for the consumer. But in business, is is like day one. And uh, businesses are looking to, are testing the the channel and uh, across different uh, different uh, areas of their business, 
we focus, uh, uh, we have been focusing in sales and marketing. That has been our go-to place mostly because it's revenue generating um, and the willingness to pay, it's immediately there. And so that has been our first uh, target. However, when we have, and we sell to mid-sized businesses and, and enterprise and our typical uh, deal sites is somewhere between fifty to $200,000 contracts. So we, we're, we're kind of at the enterprise level type of contracts. Um, in annual contract value. But when they come to a demo to learn about, you know, they come with a use case and they said, hey, um, we have this, uh, we would like to be able to, when somebody uses our form, uh, fills out a form online, we would like to follow up with a phone call triggered by die action and call the person who fill out a form who's interested in car insurance. Um, can your can your platform, your SaaS platform do that? And we said, yes. And then we have a, uh, we can, we start sharing of all the different use cases in which other companies are using and, and the functionality of it. And usually these companies that come for, with one use case walk out with like 10 other and they invite other leaders from different areas of the team. And they said, wait a second, we have an issue in logistics. And, I'm, and in this specific example, I'm talking to, uh, I'm talking about the, the biggest marketplace in the world. Uh, oh, interesting. We were thinking of using it this way, but you know what? If you can actually do this, we need you even like tomorrow in logistics, right? So it, it's a moment where um, where companies are just learning about it. The, the the awareness stage for voice in the business space is is, is probably you know we're going to be an awareness stage for for several years, and there's going to be definitely early adopters in adopting voice. I mean we're we're looking at a high percentage of Fortune 500 companies already using voice throughout the enterprise, right? But but at the uh, at scale is going to take a little while while they learn where is where does voice move the needle uh, the most in in their department. So yeah, super early. And I, I usually refer to the comparison of email uh, twenty five years ago when email came out. You know, you could use it to communicate with your parents or this and that, uh, more at the personal level. And then business starting to pick up and say, well, can we, what can you use email for, right? Uh, can I use it for sales? Can I use it for customer success? Can I use it for customer service? Uh, and little by little, you know, you fast forward and now you have unicorn companies that specialize in sales automation specifically for sales, right? Like Outreach, which is uh, founded by, uh, which is a unicorn, is founded by Manny Medina uh, Latino. Uh, or drift specifically on chatbots, right? Uh, so, so it has evolved in the email space. It evolved to the point where there are specific SaaS companies automating that specific area. Uh, we are still very early in voice. I think you will see many of these equivalents of to, to companies like Outreach in email automation for sales and Drift, which is the chatbot automation for sales, uh, six years out uh, in voice in the space where we are. And we're the first SaaS platform to, to provide the businesses to be able to build these voice bots and leverage them for phone calls. That's an interesting analogy back to e back to uh email um and you got me you got me thinking with that because you're you're right um you know my the first thing i ever had my family had was uh something called prodigy you familiar yeah. with, you remember you remember that oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
And we didn't have uh, CompuServe. We had Prodigy. And uh, boy, you know, kids growing up now would have a real problem <laughs> <laughs> trying to make sense of that. But I remember on Prodigy, and then it, from Prodigy, we went to America Online. Um, but with Prodigy, we had our first email. And if you got an email, 99.9% likelihood that it was relevant, like from, from a family member or a friend about something germane, like, it's like, oh, yes, I got an email. It's like, you know, uh, and then it now was big course, <laughs> it, it was, it was, there's no, that's no joke. Uh, yeah. It was, it was so, something special. And now when an e when you get an email, you know, if, take any particular email you might get, it's like the pr probability of a, of a meteor landing, uh, you know, on the face of the planet and destroying everything. Like that's the likelihood that it's uh, from a family <laughs> member and uh, you know, or from a friend that, you know, asking you something, you know, that you want to read. So that just even that mental journey back in time to think about that uh, is interesting because you're right. What starts off one way does not stay that way. And uh, that's what we're going through with voice right now. Um, and actually an, an interesting piece that ties to this, uh, an analogy of emails and the noise, right? You're describing initially there was not, no, not much noise, right? And then you fast forward like five years, 10 years, and then you get the opposite, right? Which is just every other email that you get or every email that you get is spam, right? It's just garbage. And then you have to fast forward five, 10 years later, and now that gets us you know, closer to where we are. And I would say within the past five, 10 years, we solved that issue, technology solved that issue of filtering all the spam for the most part. I mean, compared to what we had, the noise that we had 15, 20 years ago. You're right. Um, and that's just happening in the phone space because it's just that the, the revolution had not hit the phone space. So what we're dealing as of, you know, the past, I don't know, 15 years has been that spam period of where you know you have robocalls, unsolicited robocalls, no no way to identify, and it's just just chaos, right? Yeah. And and the people carrying out the companies that carry out robocalls are minuscule. I mean, are a tiny set that just bombard everything, and no real company with reputation would ever use robocalls because one of the things that the principles in sales and marketing is you really need to understand who your ICP is, your ideal customer profile. And whether it's email or whether it's a phone call, you should never call somebody who's not your ideal customer profile because all you're doing is make them angry and hate your brand where before they didn't even know that they could hate your brand. <laughs> so in sales and marketing, there's a sacred rule and that is that you contact the fewer people that you can uh, that you know that they're at your ideal customer profile. So that applies to phone and uh, email. Unfortunately, we're still in the space of that noise. And over the next five to 10 years, uh, the phone space, uh, it's time for the phone channel to be cleaned up by several new technologies that are coming out there, some pioneer or, or pushed by Google. Others are already in the hands of companies like Twilio that let you know the name of the company calling you and, and the person behind it and the purpose of it, right? And this way you have less noise. And this way is extremely uh, beneficial for businesses, real businesses, because 
when you use, whether you use email or the phone channel, to the, the, the main principle here has to be relevant, right? So you want to use the phone channel, uh, the most relevant point of a prospective buyer, a customer, et cetera, right? At the moment, a customer success when a customer should be ready to, to upgrade, right? So it, it all comes down to the intelligence. So it, it, it's, it's, we're, we're getting closer to that point where it will be cleaned out and just like it happened with email and they will bring more transparency and clarity and real businesses will be able to be very successful due to this transparency coming into this channel. So that's an interesting piece, more from the telephony piece rather than the, the voice bot technology itself. But that's the confluence. I mean, this is what all come together, right? And that's why it made it a perfect timing for us to, to do this. You've got such a good grasp on the, the sort of the, historical underpinnings of the technology. I, I applaud that. Thank you. you what, what you just said leads, leads me into something I definitely want to ask you about. So I'm going to ask you about this and then I'll, I'll uh, uh, ask you about uh, the, the Latino tech leaders gathering and then we'll call it a day. Um, there was an article in the New York Times last week and I forget the headline of it, but it's, it said uh, basically, uh, surprise, um, telemarketers, pollsters, uh, any number of baskets of people that are calling other people unsolicited are having unprecedented, certainly relatively to recent times, possibly at, in absolute terms in all time, success in not only getting the, the person they're calling to answer, but also in keeping them on the phone for the whole time, in many cases. You can't even get these people off the phone. It's like, my God, I, okay, I'm done. Um, <laughs> I find that fascinating. And I'm wondering if, that, uh, if, if artifacts from that or some of the trend lines from what's causing that to be true have been things that you've seen show up in some of your data with BOIQ. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I read that article. Um, so since, so we have a, a couple of combinations of type of calls that we carry out for our customers uh, through our platform. And one is completely synthetic voices. So it's a synthetic voice that calls you, hi, Bradley, and it's fully customized. So it says, hi, Bradley. Uh, you know, I noticed that you interacted with her. You downloaded a white paper today for X product. Uh, would you like to set up an appointment with one of our experts who can tell you a little bit more? We can schedule a time, that type of thing, right? So we carry a conversation within, I would say, no longer than a minute and a half, no longer than maybe four or five questions. That's the type of conversation that synthetic voice can do. We can also do something um, that um, mixes, I guess it's called overdub, where you mix a pre-recording of a human voice and inserts um, a synthetic clone of your voice for a specific word. So, for example, you, we can record your call saying, hi, this, you know, this is the department of whatever, asking somebody. And um, hi, Robert, right? You might not say Robert in, in every call, but we, we replace those tokens with your own voice in that sentence. Kind of if, if you're familiar with uh, Descript for podcasting, uh, that they allow you to replace words. So that technology is already on our platform, so we can do that. The reason why I say this, it's because uh, going back to your article, 
you said people are, you know, it's a definitely an anomaly, right? That they actually do not mind talking to somebody on the phone for a long periods of time. I would say definitely the circumstances here lend, lend themselves. But um, you also mentioned the word unsolicited, which makes it even more of an anomaly, right? Because we don't do 99% of our, the businesses on our platform and the calls that we do are not unsolicited, or at least they're not irrelevant. So, you know, it could be, uh, I don't know, talking about solar panels, but you actually live in a position where, you know, all your neighbors have solar panels and they, you know, they, the conversation is very relevant and very customized to what you are, right? And you called you at the right time at the right place, given that you made research on buying a solar panel for your home, right? So relevancy is huge. Um, the aspect of the unsolicited, that's why I made that article so so interesting, unless it's a call regarding health, right? In which case it's not necessarily unsolicited. Uh, it's very pertinent and people are willing to give that information because they want more answers and more information about uh, what services are available. And we actually, this is one of the areas that we, we offer um, U.S. government national organizations to use our platform for free when it comes to this topic and we're working with cities and governments uh, in, in, in a couple of countries that are leveraging it this way. So you can call in mass uh, co with customized conversations about health, very important uh, health questions to make sure that nobody's out there in danger of, you know, not having a meal or, or access to testing, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so, so yes, I read that article. I found it really interesting. Definitely, I believe it's an anomaly. Is <laughs> the fact that you know it's a it's a scary time. It's uncertain, and uh, somebody's willing to stay with you for longer than usual, which would not work for our voice bots, by yeah. the way. <laughs> It'd actually be a problem. We don't we don't have anything any additional conversation. Uh, you know, it's a narrow focus, the natural language understanding. We train them for specific scenarios. We deploy them and we don't expect them to be talking about, you know, anything outside the scope. So <laughs> that would not be a good case for our voice bots. We haven't seen that yet. That, that's interesting. Yeah. And even um, it just helps to have a finger on the pulse of the collective mindset, you know, and that's really what it speaks to it. I was, I was, uh, with my parents over the weekend and, and, you know, my parents will be notorious for picking up the phone, no matter who's <laughs> calling. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? And, and my, and my dad, and I finally got them to get rid of their landline. So that doesn't just ring off the hook anymore. Um, and so it's like much quieter now, but my dad was like, yeah, someone called me on my cell phone the other day. And I just answered it. I was like, why? Because we were talking about this article, uh, I was sharing that, and, and I said, "Why would you do that?" He's like, "Why would I not do that?" <laughs> Why not? Right? <laughs> and What's I'm like, the alternative? <laughs> yeah, there's, this, this this conversation no longer makes any sense to have. We're too far apart. But uh, it's yeah, sign of the sign of the times. Um, I want to conclude by asking you about your involvement within the Latino community out in California. Uh, really interesting uh, what you've put together with this group of people that gather together, this very you know, high-profile Latino uh, technology executives. Share with us a little bit about what you've done and, and why. Yep. Um, so when I moved from New York to, to Silicon Valley, I only knew one fellow Latino tech founder. Uh, he was venture-backed by Andreessen Horowitz, raised $5 million. 
And I, I asked him who, what other Latino founder um, or Latino VC do you know in this space? And it was very, very kind of anecdotal, no, not organized, kind of like, oh, yeah, I know this guy and that person and this woman. Not sure necessarily if they're Latino, but I think they are, right? So, uh, so I, I initially, I started to map and I did the homework. And the first thing that I did was, well, let me bring visibility. So the next person that comes to Silicon Valley, the next Latino that comes to uh, Silicon Valley, um, does not have to start from scratch. So I created a page with great SEO, literally top Latino tech leaders, right? And list them with their KPIs, et cetera. And of course, I got to meet them. And it started growing. And of course, that's when I started realizing, wow, we have Latino founders that have sold companies in the billions. We have several times. We have Latino venture capitalists that, uh, you know, whether it's first, second, third generation American, um, and they are leading, you know, billions of dollars in capital. And soon after I said, well, this is crazy that we do not meet. So, you know, six years ago, I said, well, we should definitely at least, I know it's going to be really difficult to get really uh, busy tech founders uh, to, it might be easier to get VCs, <laughs> but hard to get tech founders in one room. Uh, so I, you know, we, we, we bring them together once or twice a year um, in, for a couple of hours to all be, to, to really be able to work together and help each other. And then also work in helping the next generation that are looking for answers, right? Whether you are early stage, you might want to talk to somebody who just raised, if you're raising a million, um, you might want to talk to somebody who just raised two, three million, right? Not necessarily, you don't necessarily need to go talk to the person who's gone IPO twice. Actually, it's probably the worst person you want to talk to because they're so far away from the early, they'll just say, just go to my friend and get a check for two million, right? <laughs> You're like, no, that, that doesn't work at the early stage. Uh, so yeah, so that helps the next generation of, uh, of Latino, Latina tech founders um, and VCs uh, coming up the ranks to know that there's a group of very successful founders and VCs in the network. And of course, you know, we communicate daily when, when we're not coming together physically, which now obviously that's not even a possibility, but um, virtually we're having conversations every day. This group of, you know, I, I would say right now it's 50 top Latino tech leaders that have, you know, incredible piece of success selling their companies and building incredible companies, being unicorns. Uh, achieving unicorn status in really interesting areas uh, in, in chatbots, sales automation, you name it. So yeah, that's that's the um, that's the journey of the top Latino tech leaders. And you know, we have incredible people that support us and join us as special guests um, and uh, very high level. And uh, yeah, Marcelo Claudia among one of them as well from uh, SoftBank, running a 120 billion fund. He's probably the most. Uh, uh, influential Latino venture capital person, if not just in general VC in the world. Um, forget, the, forget about the denominational Latino. <laughs> He's probably one of the most important VCs in the world at this point. So we have a really incredible group of, um, of leaders. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of that. And, you know, we, we all support each other. That's very cool. So yeah, I mean, you're doing great work uh, with VOIQ. Uh, it's it's um, it's not just interesting. I, I mean, I think it's inspiring to see the civic-minded nature of of what you're doing as well, which is why I wanted to touch on it here. Um, Ricardo, thank you for being part of 
the Voice First Roundtable with us and not just taking the time, but sharing your experience and expertise with us as well. Thank you very much, Bradley. For the Voice First Roundtable, Season 2, Episode 9, thank you for listening, watching, if you're watching on YouTube. Until next time.